Hi guys, welcome back to Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview and it is really a beautiful interview waiting for you guys. You get a special treat there because I've got Jerry Fu with me. Jerry is beaming over from the United States. I will not hold that against him. Okay, let's put it like that. Um, no, it is, it's actually really, really timely and really important because Jerry is a coach who focuses on conflict resolution. And hell, there is so much conflict out there, so much of bullshit conflict uh, where I just have to shake my head. And today I've got someone who is actually focusing on that and who hopefully can, can teach us uh, his simple approach um, with regards to the four steps of, of dealing with that bullshit. Um, but it is so easy to get into the trap of polarization, of knowing only one thing. And so today, today is, is actually we're, we're rattling our own cages. We're actually maybe shaking your foundations a little bit because we're going to talk very honestly about prejudices and about, um, about uh, racism, about all these kind of things that maybe people don't want to talk. Most people don't want to talk about those people who want to talk about, they should maybe look at a different, different, point of view so regardless who you are out there this is probably a good talk for you so jerry thank you so much for coming on to my show hi steven thanks for having me oh, an absolute pleasure um you focus with your conflict resolution on asian american leaders and and your your you your yourself asian jerry where do you originally come from where does your family uh came from yeah, my parents are from Taiwan. They came over to the U.S. for grad school. Um, the one school that offered them both scholarships was in Wisconsin. And so that's where um, I started my life. And um, after I finished fifth grade, my dad's job took him down to Tennessee. So I finished high school in Tennessee, uh, went to college in Houston, Texas, and then uh, went inside of the pharmacy school initially, went back up to Tennessee where my family was and uh, worked out of the house for a couple of years, working for a chain pharmacy, and then 11 years ago, moved back to Houston uh, to try something different. And so that's uh, got all kinds of culture mixed in me. Um, I, was, I was about to say, how yeah. beautiful is that? Because oh, I'll, crazy. Exactly. Were your, uh, your parents, uh, did they embrace the Taiwanese culture? Did they bring it across and try to create little Taiwan? Or did they completely assimilate into the American culture? I think uh, they were just in their habits uh, that they were used to from Taiwan. And so, you know, thankfully, you know, they, I, I remember learning Chinese growing up, you know, initially just as a part of my environment, um, you know, English was my first language, but uh, you know, Chinese was definitely part of, part of my life. And uh, yeah, my parents, I know they did their part to, you know, build relationships and, you know, try to, you know, make a name for themselves and find their own lives here. But at the same time, yeah, they, they didn't like really compromise like their identity as Taiwanese when it came to living their lives, even though like in Wisconsin, like both Wisconsin and Tennessee aren't known for like their Asian populations. But you don't you don't hear about like Milwaukee Chinatown, right? Or like, like Knoxville Chinatown. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> oh, which is which is actually a little bit bizarre because uh, there was a, a strong Chinese uh, immigration uh, in what the, uh, the nineteen well yeah early nineteen hundreds uh, because of the railway 
building and and, and things like that. Um, the, so you would have actually expected that they inevitably would have stayed somewhere, but uh, that was obviously they bypassed Tennessee and they bypassed uh, Texas down there. <laughs> yeah, a bit. Okay, no, that's that's interesting, and I'm I'm so pleased to hear that because certainly. Uh, in Germany, for example, we had uh, so many Gastarbeiter. Uh, after 1945, my country was bombed to ruins, left, right and center. And in the 50s, there was this boom of a rebuilding and lots of Italians, Greek, Turks, uh, Yugoslavians came to, to Germany to, to rebuild, basically, to give the manpower. Um, and many of them stayed. And so therefore, the first generation, the second generation of them, some of them kept in their in their cliques and to, to, a, to a degree that some Turkish women still don't speak uh, any German whatsoever. And they're really living in their cluster. On the flip side, others have completely assimilated and don't want to have anything to do with their culture. So for you, obviously, this was still sort of both uh, the best of both worlds so to speak that that your mom and dad were trying to uh, to give you yeah grateful for that for sure and you know there's it's such an uphill battle and I have to remind myself not to be ungrateful for you know all the sacrifice my parents did and the risk they took coming over to the U.S. and just trying to play that game and mm. you know um, even as they misguidedly maybe give you know impose their definition of success on my life because they want what's best for me right um <laughs> you know just it's like when helping hurts right you're just like okay at, at some point loving people becomes enabling them and then that's no longer loving so you know, it's a <laughs> tough battle to fight oh is there is there any parent in this world who has not got regrets? And is there any child in this world who is not looking down on their parents, forgetting that they tried their best with their belief system, with their own experience, with their trauma? Um, it is. It would have been a huge upsetting thing uh, for your parents to leave Taiwan, something they know, and then throw themselves into uh, a country whose every nuance is foreign to them and where there's probably not a strong community as you pointed out so they're not people who can assist them help them uh coach them hold them by the hand so this must have been an, a very exciting and scary journey for your parents oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely right like i mean well, what do you have to, when you have community? Where do you find it, right? You just like there's no directory to you know to really look up. You don't. Internet wasn't big back then, right? So you can just look online for social like meetups or anything like that. Like you just kind of hopefully someone knew someone who knew someone and ta da, right? But now it's just so easy to connect with with your tribe, which has gone the opposite direction right now. Like terrorists are finding each other and, you know, it's just kind of like, this isn't, that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. No, wonderful. So here you were uh, basically a Chinese boy growing up in the American system. Did you experience racism or yes. was that, was there a, were you actually, was it just, yeah, there's, yeah, another boy. Hey, tell us, you know, what do you eat in Taiwan kind of thing? Or was it really more derogatory? 
Uh, I mean, I remember like a couple moments that stuck out as I remember when I was at like swim lessons and I'm in the shower just getting ready and this kid would be like, I know Kung Fu, see? And he would try to do that and he'd be like, Wang Chong, Ching Chong Ching. And it's just like, I don't know what you're hoping to accomplish with that. And then I remember another time I got in, you know, in elementary school, you know, I got into a tip with another girl just because they were like, I guess we wanted the same, the same toy or same, you know, part of the playground. And she's like, go back to Japan where you belong. And it's like, I'm an American citizen. Like I was born here. Like, why would I go back to Japan? Like, you know, I'm Taiwanese. Like, why would I go back to Japan? <laughs> That's right. There's 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 a beautiful German cartoon where uh, a, a skinhead is, or actually a more proper German is addressing um, a, a black person and in in uh, on the street. Go back to where you came from. And he's looking around and says, "What shall I do in Berlin?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So no, it is. Uh, it is regrettably. I mean, that shit is 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 all over the world. And uh, was it? Was it? I mean, you had two examples there. Was that prevalent every day, or was that just the odd, the odd time that you encountered that? Uh, it wasn't a lot. Lot. I think you know. For the most part, I gratefully had a, a fairly normal childhood. Um, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So it wasn't. But it's yeah. It's just indicative that there are you know there are just there's something broken in all of us that you know these prejudices that you know yeah Asians are guilty too of of having their own prejudices mm. and um, you know just to understand it's like okay yeah like how does grace fit into all this and how do we actually move past this because it's one thing to finally be aware of it and draw it out into the open and it's another when people say oh yeah well you know i'm glad you brought this up about me but i really don't want to change right and so it's like okay well you know you make your decisions <laughs> but it's good that you actually say that with regards to 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 racism that is really prevalent in every single uh, society and it is what are the racism aspects or the, the perceptions that Asians or that some Asians have and when, you, and when we say Asians for Christ's sake we are talking uh, such a huge part of this earth how mm. the hell can you brush that with one brush oh those Asians over there oh, for Christ's sake you know, when you go to Europe, do you think an Italian is the same as a French, is the same as a Belgium, as a Swede? And they are living much closer together as much of Asia. So, so here you go already. How crazy is this description? So I mean, how many people would identify as Asian in this world? Two billion? Oh, three billion? Yeah, so five many, billion? Yeah. Something like that. So the, the, the vast majority. So let's get that out of our system. Uh, the moment you say Asian, that's already crazy uh, in its own description. Uh, you might as well say human. <laughs> that's about the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, the, in in your in your niche of of Asians, um, what what prejudices have you encountered towards other races or other people? I mean, like from our side, like where we're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so I'll give you two examples that come to mind. So you know, just. One was I remember my mom when I was growing up, right? And, you know, when I started to get interested in girls or whatever, and then she would tell me, you know, Jerry, don't, don't date a black girl. Like, it's, it's just not worth the headache. <laughs> like, okay, thanks, mom. <laughs> Parenting 101. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So blacks are out. Who else? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. 
And here's another example. This is this is a fun one that I, I like to share with people just to see how they react. So one of my Taiwanese friends, at one point, her grandpa was looking through a photo album of hers. And so he saw a group of girls with her and he points to one girl and he's, he goes, he goes, Erica, like, he points to this one girl and her friend and he goes, is she Chinese? And she goes, no, grandpa, she's Korean. And under, and under his breath, he mutters, they're all Chinese. It's like, okay, then. <laughs> oh, okay. So even mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And for Christ's sake, there's, I mean, that, that's a whole uh, other story out there, the aggression that, uh, that was prevalent in various parts of Asia uh, in the sense of Japanese invaded China and the Manchuria and in the 30s. Extremely brutal wars were fought in Asia by Asians against Asians. So, of course, there will be some very harsh feelings that were were coined from from those things. So, I remember I remember in Holland, uh, when bloody 80s, when I was young, we did a bike tour through Holland and I saw an old woman looking at us, spitting at the ground. And I thought, shit, what have I done? Have I, have I upset her? Not realizing that she had lived through the German occupation of Holland, and and it was that kind of thing. So there is there are sometimes bad feelings are not due to prejudices; they are due to very real memories, sometimes living memories of things that were very very bad. So that's already sort of another thing where we've got shit. There's so much weaving into each other so many things so it's it's good that we bring all that out because sometimes because a person has got strong views that might be opposed to what you believe might have some damn good reasons where that came from mm-hmm. um and i think therefore and that's already just throwing that out there <laughs> we'll go into that more no two yeah. ways around that mm-hmm. um cool so here you were an Asian boy actually uh, going through your own journey, uh, mm-hmm. spreading your wings, pointed already out to the to to your parents, um, guiding you in what they believe was was the right thing to do, and uh, but you chose at, at some stage in your in your life you chose to actually follow your heart, as she chose to say, "Now, nah, actually, mommy, daddy, nope." Uh, what was the catalyst? What what happens to you then? Yeah, um, I think it it just happened in stages where I was there a point seven. I was really pessimistic about my life. Whenever like certain I hit certain milestones, because uh, I'll give I'll get the the context for that is like in Taiwan where you have entry exams for every major stage of education, right? So it's like you have to do well on the elementary school test to get into the good middle school, and then the good middle school to get into the good high school, and then you know every door has to be prepared to be unlocked properly otherwise because if you get sick on the day of the exam right or you know you have a bad day and next thing you know you pretty much kind of just you know you know sealed your fate right you like put the ceiling on your abilities and your capacity and the kind of life that you have because i had one uncle who went to college his younger brother uh did not you know do so hot in the exam and so pretty much just kind of funneled off into being a baker because it was just kind of like this is as far as you can go right and so that's what happened for me whenever i failed at certain things so you know high school 
I, I got through it fine because my mom made sure that I did not like let my lack of discipline, like uh, hurt me academically. But here's the problem is that when my mom is the driving force and I am not my own driving force, right. Um, what happens when you take that source of, you know, focus away. And when I went to college in Houston, away from Tennessee, right. I ended up like part of the problem. I ended up getting a C in organic chemistry. So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, in my Asian mind, right. Like I got a C in organic chemistry. That's death. Like I may as well just give up on my doctor dreams. Like that's over. Uh, and so, yeah, all that to say, right. So I said, well, you know, maybe I can pivot to something else in healthcare. So I ended up going into pharmacy. I convinced pharmacy school that I was, I would make a good pharmacist. And so I, that's what I did for myself. And then I, but there's like this quiet, successful victimhood, right. Where you just kind of like, well, if I guess it's the best I can do, I can't go to med school. So at least I'll just be a pharmacist. And then I applied the same kind of mentality to my love life, where I was just kind of like, you go on a couple of days, they go poorly. Like I talk too much or, you know, I, I don't, I go touch or something right with the girl. And it's just kind of like, okay, oh, maybe I'm just undateable. Maybe I'm just out of that. And I'm just telling myself, like I'm feeding my own poison. Right. And now I'm just like, I, you know, my mom's trying to do everything she can to rescue me. Right. She says, I'll find the girl in my network for you to marry. And I found a really good one. So you need to marry her. So you need to work for this chain pharmacy. You need to marry this girl. So, you know, I'm, I'm 25. I graduated from pharmacy school. I moved home because my, I followed my mom's recommendations that this is what I need for myself. I hate my life. Right. It doesn't matter how much money I'm making as a chain pharmacist. And the fact that I technically have a girlfriend, like I, I, I just, I'm just not happy with the way my life is going. And but I'm so scared to like strike it out on my own because I just don't, I don't want to live on my own. Like I was, when I was a grad student, like my apartment was terrible. Like I'm just like, I don't want to go back to that. So let me stay home and, you know, stay comfortable and just like be mad at the world. And then, yeah, after five years at my chain pharmacy job, you know, and thankfully the original girl that my mom set me up with, and thankfully moved on after a year and found a nice cardiologist to marry, you know, that's a whole other story. But, you know, I, after five years, I was like, I had a really bad customer service incident at work. And I just said, nope, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't care that you gave me a third week of vacation. If the 49, other 49 still suck, then no, that's a bad deal. Um, and so I said, well, I want to teach, but I don't have a residency or PhD or anything like that. But uh, a friend who worked for a pharmacy consulting company here in Houston said, hey, I got promoted. My old position is available. I know you want to teach. Do you want to uh, get your hat in the ring. And I said, absolutely. And so that was, it was a part-time position. It was a fairly big risk, right? I'm walking away from, from a full-time job with benefits, you know, uh, to take on this job. And, you know, my mom's like, what are you doing? Like, you're really leaving? And I'm like, yeah, I, this, if this is my default, this sucks. Like I got to get out of here. And, you know, it's just out of the frying pan into the fire, right? I ended up getting fired from that job 11 months later. And I'm just like, crap, now what do I do? You know? It's not happily ever after, not yet. <laughs> Having said that, you made that mm -hmm. first step. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's the same, uh, you could compare it with emigrating. Um, the first time you're in, in, in your country and you decide to leave and my God, and it's all a nightmare. And then if everything turns out fine, that's cool. If it turns out to be actually not the right step for you, the hesitation now to say, oh, well, fuck it, we, we just move now to another country because we have realized that, no, we made some mistakes here. That's not for us on the drop of a hat, or uh, more or less. Um, but it's that you made that step. You suddenly realized that taking action is not as painful as you thought. 
and that actually not taking action is far more painful. And that is such a beautiful liberation of of your power. It's 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 Clark Kent finding out he has got superpowers. Okay, or you know that is what happened to you. Wow, I get goosebumps, man. This is this is exactly what life is about. So there you are. You actually you you felt the freedom um, of being being your own your own man. Um, where did so and then you got fired? Great, <laughs> bang! Hey, kick in the ball. Because that's too fast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so um, I know down the line, sort of, we're, we're talking now. Really, uh, four years ago, you actually went into coaching there. Mm-hmm. May I ask what was the catalyst there? Where did you? Where did that change happen? Yeah, yeah, that's a, uh, it's definitely a, a, a brace that people don't see unless they build it for them. That's basically the metaphor I'm going to use here, because they say, hey, yeah, how do you go from healthcare to leadership coaching or conflict resolution coaching? So basically, yeah, the the journey from when I got fired, yeah, basically to kind of tie off that loop is that I wasn't that serious about being an instructor. Like I like the idea of being an instructor more than actually being to work and being an incredible instructor. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, be, between that actually getting the work done that I'm, I was hired to do and not getting along with my boss. It was just a, you know, of course, in hindsight, it's just, it's like 11 months was actually very generous, right? You're just kind of like, wow, they must have given, they were really willing to hope I turned the ship around before they finally cut me. And, you know, it, it was hard at the time because I'm just like, what do I do? I moved to Houston for this job. Like, do I go back? I can't go back. Like my the job market's already saturated. They, you know, my old company moved on from me. So what do I do now? So that's when the roller coaster took some fun turns where I ended up at a house of cars pharmacy job where four of my paychecks bounced filling for crooked doctors. And I was like, this is not a good situation. Uh, but it had a very well-meaning, but misguided view of grace because I'm like, well, I'll hold up my end of the bargain if my boss isn't. And and all my friends are like, well, how are you going to pay your bills, Jerry, if he doesn't pay you? And it's like, oh, but I don't want to confront him about the fact that he's shorting me money. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Okay. Yep. So were you deep inside a people pleaser? Were you a, a man who rather shies away from conflict? Um, yeah, I mean, that's how I was brought up, like between my own fear and insecurities and mm-hmm. just wanting people to like me and then not knowing what to do um, when people were upset with me. Right. Uh, I remember 10 years ago when a friend asked me, he goes, hey, are you an approval addict? And I just saw like my entire life flash before my eyes. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am an approval addict. Excellent. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. And so I was just like, I don't know how to confront my boss, but after, you know, after the first one happened, it's like, okay, surely he'd learned from that. Nope. After the third and the fourth one, it was just like, okay. And I just went off on like his admin. I'm just like, you know, da, 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 da. I can't believe this. I can't. Da. And, you know, it was just like, but where was that courage when I actually had to confront him? I'm more than happy to complain about it. Right. And hopefully the person <laughs> I'm complaining to will do something, but yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And you figured out that did not work. And but that is the step that many, many, many people are stuck at. And Mm -hmm. and it it doesn't matter uh, which color your skin is or which uh, original language you spoke. Uh, That is just as much in Germany. There's just as much here in New Zealand. Um, That's that's a lot of the workforce I work with. There's lots of whining, but very, very few examples of leadership where people actually step forward and say, this is really shit. 
I suggest we do, etc. So that's interesting. So something changed in you. What changed? What oh. made you suddenly be that different person? Well, I mean, well, it, it still took a while, <laughs> you know, I, just because I was more vocal about my my being upset didn't actually, you know, it, it took a while before I actually was able to be comfortable by running toward gunfire, right, or falling <laughs> on a grenade or something like that. And so happy to unpack that journey as I unpack the whole conflict resolution specialty sure. in my leadership journey. But yeah, so I learned that I at least had to, um, you know, if I'm upset, I need to not keep it down because that's what my mom used to do whenever she was upset with somebody or whatever. She would tell me, like, if I was upset with someone, she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, it's just, it's not worth listening to the relationship over. Like, this might, you know, this might like collapse the bridge. Like, don't, don't do it. Right. Um, and that's what we were taught. Like, I remember, so the example I'll use is when uh, one of my college friends who incidentally was Korean, but grew up in the US. So it wasn't maybe as in tune to the Asian expectations of like staying over at someone's house. Right. And so, you know, he's like, Hey, I'm going to road trip through college, uh, you know, through, you know, through uh, let's come hang out. And so for a couple of days, it was fine. My mom was a perfectly gracious host. But then after he left, my mom was like, can you believe him? Like he didn't clean up the hair in the bathtub, like all this other stuff. And I'm just like, is this how I'm supposed to deal with things? If I'm upset, like I'm just supposed to just, you know, keep it to myself. And then uh -huh. hopefully after enough time, I get over it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. but that's typical. That's typical. People will try to, to bring this facade into their mm -hmm. life. And that yeah. is, that is, you are, you're pointing it out as, as something from, for your mom, you mm -hmm. could have described my mom. Okay. Mm -hmm. to, to the T. I mean, that was it. And but a very poisonous, uh, my mum was, was poisonous behind other people, very friendly, very, ah, oh, yeah, best friend. And then, um, so, but no, no, that was her personality or her personality disorder, shall I say. Um, here, so yeah, there was this maybe not so great role model. Did you have, did you come across role models where you thought, wow, he handled that well? Um, was that something that, made you see the light for the lack of a better word uh so i can yeah i'll, I'll go into some situations that i know i grew from that, that helped me get to where i am now so yeah so in that job eventually thankfully i left um and my friends got me on with another job i was a little better but money was really tight and they said hey we can't pay you more than eight hours a week and i'm just like okay um and so I said, well, what can I do? And they said, well, you can uh, get more hours working for our store out in Austin, which is about two and a half hours away. And, you know, everyone like, oh, Austin, that's great, isn't it? And I'm like, but it's not home. Like, they're like, you can work up, you can end up working in worse places. I said, that's true. But, you know, I'm still, I still have no idea what my life is going to look like at this point. So that's the first, uh, you could say catalyst was that summer, though, this is 2012 now. And uh, some friends of mine who run a pharmacy leadership nonprofit associated with my, our pharmacy fraternity said, hey, we know you've been facilitating workshops in the fraternity side, but we have an opening for the leadership workshop. Well, would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. And so um, in teaching leadership, right, leadership is more caught than taught kind of thing, you know, with that mentality. But um, that's when my mind started to shift a bit instead of saying, oh, I'm bad at leadership. I could never be good at it. Now I'm like, well, what if I could be a good leader? Like, what would that look like? How would I carry myself? Like, what, what, how, what would, how could this, how could I fulfill this? And so 
when the opportunity to take on a full-time manager position in Houston that had opened up and came open a couple of months later, I was like, I have to come home. I don't want to stay safe. I need to uh, take on this challenge. And Stephen, I proceeded to get written up uh, about eight or nine months later because I had technicians that were not, uh, you know, pulling their weight. And I, again, just, oh, just show grace. And, you know, I don't want to have this conversation. And, you know, management said, well, that might be true, but that means you're also part of the problem. And I said, oh, great. So, Ooh, Ooh um, nice. Yeah. yeah. So it's just this, this classic, like, you just... I, you know, you got to push my face into the mud until I decide I'm not, I don't, I still want to eat mud anymore. Um, you know, which is ironically the kind of shame tactics my dad used to be to help me get better at math. But now it's not my, I can't hold against my parents. It's just, you know, this is just the harsh reality of life. So it's like, nope, either I can make it, either I can let it define me as an incompetent person or I can let it make me better. And so I will choose to get better. And uh, yeah, so um, slowly but surely start to realize, hey, you know what? Like your, your boss is not paying you to make excuses. Your boss is paying you to get a job done. And so I started to get better about feeling confident in my ability to get the job done. So to say, okay, I realized that they're going to be upset when I tell them why I can't do something. So let me stop doing that. And let me actually just get the job done. doesn't matter what the story is. Again, the results they want, that's it. Um, but one of the situations I think uh, that helped me realize um, that I, I maybe had turned the corner somewhat was when, uh, when I served as a church class director my second day on the on the um, as my as director, I found out that one of the newer guys was uh, sexually harassing women in the class, and so they're like, "Jerry, you got to handle this." And it's like, "You didn't give me a manual for this. Come on, <laughs> here's the deep end, Jerry. Go swim." What? Uh-huh. Uh, okay, fine. Um, and so to tell you the result, how that situation played out. I got the guy on the phone because I I was just about to take a vacation as I found out about the situation. So not only do I have to deal with the situation, I have to deal with it over the phone. And so Shit. I get the guy on the phone and the guy's like, I don't know what they're talking about. I, I No, 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 it's not me. It's not me. I promise you, I'm not doing anything like that. And I'm just like, okay, well, here, here's three options. Number one, uh, I believe you and it's a misunderstanding, which means you need to go and you know, clarify that misunderstanding and make sure that whatever you're doing that's offending them just needs to stop. Like we're not saying you did anything wrong. It's just whatever you're doing may be misunderstood and just whatever's being misunderstood, just stop doing that. Easy enough. Option number two, you are sexually harassing this woman, which means you need to stop that. Go apologize to them and make sure that you definitely don't do that again. Option three, you continue to insist that you did nothing wrong and don't change, which means now it's your word against hers. And I have to ask you to leave because I've known her longer than I've known you. Make a choice. And unfortunately for him, he, I guess, was reluctantly went to have this conversation, which, you know, he continued to be unrepentant and basically disappeared from the class, which is a shame. I was really hoping that it was like, oh, it was just a really, really strange misunderstanding. But it turns out he really was causing problems. And you know, I had to frame it for his benefit to say, hey, look, this isn't fun for me either. I told him this. I'm just like, look, I don't I'm sad that I had to even you know, talk to you about this because, you know, I don't want to believe that you are capable of something like this. But clearly uh, we need to talk about this. And again, I'm not trying to chase you out because you're some kind of like scoundrel that just managed to you know, sneak in in sheep's clothing. I really just want you to get back to a point where you can these relationships are healthy and respectful. And if you're not willing to do that, then no, um, it is best for you to leave. Whilst you were talking, I observed my own emotions. 
mm-hmm. how your voice, how your words, if anything was triggering me, mm-hmm. there was nothing there to trigger. Mm-hmm. It is just the way you spelled it out in a in kind of compassionate kind of of compassion is too much. It's the wrong word. Empathic, maybe. Yeah, empathetic. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But in a really nice way, you analyzed it, thought about it, and mm-hmm. brought a clarity to the situation that was beautiful. And that is, you have already nailed uh, one key thing for conflict mm-hmm. resolution. You actually created common ground mm-hmm. between him and you. It was not polar opposites, although probably in your mind it was, mm-hmm. but you managed to bring him to the table. And you did so over the phone, which is bloody hard. Oh, That's not, don't try that at home, kids. Okay. This is not <laughs> a good idea. <laughs> um, and this is not a good idea because 95% of the communication is nonverbal. On the phone, you can't see if there is shame or disgust. Those micro expressions that, that can tell you so much about him. Uh, because on the phone, you were left with the, well, yeah, it could be right or it could not be, whilst you might have instinctively known that he was a predator had you looked into his eyes and had you had you been the, given the chance to assess it more properly. So here you go. Uh, I think lesson number one, get your ducks in a row, know the facts rather than go off half-cocked and, and, and potentially go, go pear-shaped in your approach. Okay, wow, that is that was leadership <laughs> thrown in the deep end. Swim with the sharks, boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, did you did you? It's interesting that you say that with regards to the sexual harassment. Did mm-hmm. part of your leadership uh, training incorporate these things, or did you get actually uh, was that part and parcel of of dealing with difficult people? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think. The turning point for me was just knowing how I had been fired um, and recognizing, you know, how do I how do I show the person that I need to dismiss them, even as I'm upset with them? How do I show them dignity, even if they've mm-hmm. lost my respect um, or my trust? Because it's at this point, right, that is a form of grace where you mm-hmm. say, hey, you know, you I, you don't deserve my attention anymore yeah. you don't deserve like anything i'm not going to give you any more money or you know do you any more favors because you've already shown me that you've abused you know my generosity um but you know i don't want to just leave you out floating into space mm-hmm. like i'll be happy to you know i probably wouldn't make referrals because i'd be like yeah they know he got fired here but you should totally hire him like that's just not a good referral but you know, like to say, hey, here's like, here's, here's some job sites, here's some leads, you know, mm. I'll, I'll, I'll polish up your resume if you want some help with that. Um, but, you know, it is in your best interest and ours to stop here, right? Um, if you say you can only give five and you have legitimate reasons, like there's also some family drama and your kids need a lot of time or whatever, but the company says, hey, we need 10. And you're like, well, I can only give you five. And mm. like, is, well, the company dies if you don't give us 10. That's what we're hiring you for. Mm. Like, we know exactly. the company's, yeah, the company is its own expert on what it needs. And if you don't meet those needs, the company dies. And somehow people think that stories can pay bills. And it's like, no, stories don't pay bills. <laughs> so, yeah, that's part of it is 
I think part of it was, you know, reading some useful literature, like two mm-hmm. books that I, I, I commonly cite that kind of incorporate into my own recipe of, of conflict resolution. One is called Difficult Conversations. Like they, they got the simple, like straightforward title. You Google it on Amazon, you search it on Amazon, boom, there it is. And they win, right? Uh, another good book though that my friends recommended uh, is called The Four Conversations uh, by Jeff and Lori Ford. And specifically, one of the four conversations is called The Closure Conversations. So how do you handle things when expectations go south? Or there's some misunderstanding and they have some really good elements there where they say, Hey, you know, don't let people off the hook. If you do, they will not respect you. Right. Um, it is up to you to follow through. And you also mm-hmm. need to, you know, it's a good idea to apologize, even if it's not your fault. Right. You might, uh, one great example in there talks about the supervisor who was newly hired and all his, his team was really resentful of him. And he's like, you know, I, what did I do wrong guys? And they're like, well, you know, you're the previous guy in your position promised us raises and, you know, he never followed through on it. And so the guy's just like, well, it's not my fault, but now I have to deal with this. So I need to deal with this. Right. So how do I find closure there? Um, mm-hmm. Another example is when I, you know, I had a roommate who defaulted on his lease and he basically hid in his room and dared me to actually like follow through and give him an ultimatum and, you know, call the cops before he actually like decided that empty prom- realized that empty promises were no longer going to buy him more time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are consequences in life and there are consequences of your own actions. And I think that's something that in recovery, we learn to not just, you know, not just the words. We are not getting away with words. So to make amends in the 12-step program, for example, to make amends, there is a step that you plan to make amends and then you actually do make amends so there's action so yes words is quite nice but now <laughs> yeah, yeah now do it um and i think that is and that is that is what you have described is actually the true the true sense of leadership i uh, like Jocko willink um who's a u.s navy seal and his his leadership style uh, is called extreme ownership that's a, the the name of his book and he he says that whatever goes wrong it's his problem but not that you think oh my god i need to whip myself no he says that if i'm in a position of power and someone stuffs up below me, that means that I either didn't give this person the right training, the right skills, that I chose the wrong person, um, those kind of things. And if someone above me stuffs up, that means did I give actually this person the right information that he needed to make a decision, et cetera. So there's this, this ownership, really I love that concept of of not just sitting back whining and talking bad behind people's backs but actually to say okay where is what is my role in this whole situation what is my role towards there towards there um and you know how do i behave am i actually uh part of the solution or part of the problem and that is exactly what you have described there so i 100% subscribe to that and certainly since i have verbalize these kind of principles for me myself i have become no doubt a far better leader in my field with my team um, because i can take it on the chin i'm not getting getting upset if someone 
criticizes or maybe even flies off the handle um it is it's it's a beautiful position to be in to have to this mixture of okay stop for a moment observe what's going on and see what's really going on try to integrate it into the matrix of of who you are what you're doing right now and then you can figure out is that actually a real problem due to a problem or is that a problem due to this person or is that a problem due to me um is am i the problem so here you go so it is these kind of things that is and and you have you have given us beautiful examples to where you exactly did that so that's wonderful um this insight is intoxicating once you actually uh get onto that train it's very hard to get off uh, because you actually learn how people really tick and you learn how how um how to read people better and to understand people better do you get the same feeling do you get the same the same the same satisfaction i guess yeah i think um you know the interesting thing is that people don't want to admit that when you become a leader like by voc- by title and not just like by influence right like you become part of a very exclusive club whether for better or for worse some people hate it because they're burnt out and they're like i wish i never had this like level of insight and others are really like i guess uh, amazed at what kind of yeah insights you get from the birds eye view that you have as leader you know as when you have to oversee a team and you mm. have to motivate people and you have to get to know them and figure out what makes them mm. tick. And mm. then you introduce terms like flow and Maslow's hierarchy and, you know, all these other, you know, fun concepts mm. because mm. you realize just how urgent a need leadership really is because it's just so easy to settle for the status quo and mm. just live by default instead of by design. Sometimes people feel, feel powerless in their their place of work or in their in their position within life and it's so easy to take on this victim role and i think that is probably the very first thing that that we need to hold the mirror in front of ourselves really are you truly a victim is there really no hope is there really nothing you can do and maybe that is something that we, that we need to think about i certainly over there, my steps to sobriety um, is my book. So this is the first version that's no longer on the market. Second edition is coming out in October, and in there, the first the first part of the book is my story and what alcohol does to the body, um, etc. Then we do a twelve step a look into the twelve steps, but in a modern language. But then thereafter is about the challenges in life. Because it's all quite pretty to, to be, hey, I'm, I'm dry, I'm sober now, great. And now comes life and all the challenges there from depression to anxiety attacks to difficult conversations to dealing with difficult people. That's one of the chapters I've gotten there because assholes are all around you. And sometimes it feels that they are just sort of you know, ganging up on you. You look around and you find all of them in your neighborhood and you think, how does that happen? Well, sometimes it does happen, actually. But how do you deal with that? So dealing with difficult people 
There is only so much conflict resolution you can do when you've got someone with a personality disorder. Um, but before we go to that now, before we go to the hardcore cases, um, yeah. let's actually go to your system. Let's go because you have got this, this you actually crystallized it down. You've put it into into uh, into a, a simple scheme. Can you introduce me to that? And of can course, you... happy to. Yeah. So uh, the the simple framework that I've I guess basically made my own recipe is uh, five steps. So the first step is to imagine what a successful conversation sound like. Um, now, success, right? It's not. It's different for everybody. Um, for some people, it may be a misunderstanding and say, hey, okay, hey, can you please not do that again, right? Or can you please not leave the dishes in the sink? Or if you had a long day, just let me know. I'll clean them up for you, right? Just don't leave dishes in the sink, right? It can be that simple of, hey, maybe we weren't thinking clear on things. Let's just clear it up. Done. Uh, for others, it is just to be able to agree to disagree, right? Just as a, hey, mom, I love you. And I thank you that you care so much about my success in life. And, you know, I don't want to be a doctor. I am going to be a wildlife photog photographer or something like that, right? To say, hey, I know you have concerns about how I'm going to pay the bills. That is my problem, not yours. So, hey, you know, let's stay in touch. And I'm going to try to do this for myself, right? And then for others, it is to simply say, hey, you know what? We need to part ways, um, you know, like with evicting my roommate or, uh, you know, or if like in more extreme cases, right? You know, like you want to resolve something uh, or... There may be a falling out that is still lingering several years later, right? And that you may not even have a conversation with that person, but you need to still write your thoughts out and you need to imagine their response. And that is that is what a successful conversation would go like. So the first is to say, okay, how does this conversation need to go? Then the second is to say, okay, can I find 10 seconds of courage to uh, pick up the phone or send that text or send that email because people think, oh, I have to, I have to wait until I'm ready. And I'm like feeling like I'm strong enough. That day will never come. You just need enough to get the ball rolling. And then that way you can't back out and you can't let your cowardice like keep you from, from doing this. You're like, oh crap, the boulder's rolling down the hill. I guess I better follow through. So, so that's the second step. Mm -hmm. uh, third step is to script your uh, script your key phrases. Like make sure that you write down like everything that you want to be sure to address, right? Um, because you might forget or you might not bring everything up. So you need to at least go ahead and organize your thoughts beforehand. Uh, fourth step is to rehearse, right? So it's one thing to study for an exam and okay, I can memorize this. It's like, no, how do I come across when I say, it? do I sound like I'm confident? Do I sound like I'm empathetic? Do I sound compassionate? You know, role play with friends, you know, record yourself. Now everyone has, a, everyone has a camera on their phone, right? Nice. So practice these things, get feedback, because if you don't train well in the dojo, you're not going to do well on the street when you actually have to fight, right? And then the fifth step, do it. Just, you know, like, what is your hesitation costing you, right? As we talked about, sometimes the riskiest thing to do is just play it safe where you are. And like, oh, let me just get over this. And it's like, nope, you've trained too hard not to. Now it's a sunk cost. And, you know, it is, it is well within your uh, wheelhouse and your capabilities to follow through on this because you are not doing this to pin them for injustices done to your life. You are doing this because you care about the person. If they're important to you, uh, you will not be afraid to address tough things with them, right? Uh, I tell people pain is not the opposite of love. Apathy is right. If I didn't care about you, I'd let you sink your own ship and then, you know, give you a life raft maybe. Right. But if I truly care about you and I want you to stay at working on at this company, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do to improve. Right. That is the most loving thing to do.
So that's the five-step framework. You can get a free PDF of this framework I just mentioned through my website at adaptingleaders.com. And have a look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because his link is down there. It is a beautiful, simplified uh, thing, but it is what where I had to love is the 10 seconds of courage. Mm -hmm. And it is so beautiful to, to actually take action. And is this, that's what I get daily reminders uh, for this morning. I, this, I came to the kitchen and it was a mess. It was, uh, my kids had not cleaned up. Uh, my young man had not cleaned up, shall I say. My wife was too tired and I had not done it. So I had the choice of either getting crumpy and, and waiting for it somehow that someone does it. Or I could just get on with it and bang, 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 bang. Um, five minutes later, the kitchen was clean and I felt good. Um, I knew I had in my own emotional bank account, I had put something in and said, yep, you did that. So that was all good. So I took action, but I also I made the choice. I, I actually uh, jumped over my, my own procrastinator, I guess, number one. More importantly, the, the guy who would have loved to have a pity party. Uh, why me? Why? Uh, it's always me that, that has to do it. No, no. I just got on with it and did it. And that was so good. And it was actually not painful. It took me about five minutes to literally stack the dish usher, dishwasher. You know, mm -hmm. it was neither here nor there with hindsight. Yet, I actually feel good about it. And how cool is that? So there was a difficult thing there. Well, obviously, it's, it's a bit harder to do that, to have the difficult conversation. But once it is out, it's out. You have dealt with it. You, the problem is there are flow-ons of every action you do. There will be a reaction. And sometimes these reactions cannot be so nice. Mm -hmm. But then again, as you have highlighted, it is um, what is worse. You're just sitting there and suffering or knowing about the problem. And I mean, if you're anyhow like me, three o'clock in the morning, bing, you <laughs> you ruminate on it and it's just, mm -hmm. oh, fuck's sake, just deal with it, <laughs> honestly. So yeah. Yeah. no, it's it's beautiful. That's beautiful. So here you are, you've, you've got your, uh, your own coaching business. Um, you focus on, on conflict resolution in general terms, but you focus specifically on Asian American leaders. Mm -hmm. um, what makes that so different or why those, where, why this subspecialization, may I say? Yeah, yeah, great question. So to finish up uh, the pharmacy journey into this, uh, into niching down, basically, yeah. So um, I tell people, you know, taking on leadership positions is what saved my career because, you know, I wouldn't have had job options available unless I had leadership experience on my resume. Um, the problem is, is that they're like icebergs and that uh, they melt after like one or two years because smaller pharmacies just don't do well in this healthcare business industry. Right. And so it's like, great, I have more icebergs, but they're still icebergs. And so, you know, I'm just tired of like having to hop from one iceberg to another every one or two years. And so when my previous job went under about four years ago, um, due to insurance challenges and things like that, I said, you know, I'm really tired of chasing scripts and tired of fighting insurance contracts that mm. dictate how much I can make for the same amount of work, um, you know. But I love teaching these leadership workshops. You know, that's what 
I, I love seeing people develop and I know what kind of help I wish I had had uh, 10, mm-hmm. 12 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. So what would a career in leadership coaching and facilitating look like, you know? And so I start to do some research, ask some people in this space, how does this work? And of course, I'm still terrified of rejection and failure. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to start a business. I don't want to get a, I don't want to pay money for a website. That would mean, what if I, what if I fail? Then, you know, that's just money they don't get back. Right. And then, uh, you know, some people were kind enough to kind of, you know, hire me and stuff like that. It wasn't enough. To, it was like a hobby, right. It wasn't enough to really like <laughs> make the jump and, uh, but you know, in the middle of COVID, you know, you just say, Hey, you know what, what, how much longer can I go? I can I afford to, to put this off. Right. And so I said, okay, no, get the LLC, get the bank account, get the website up and let's do this. And so even as I got a leadership credential through, you know, the international coaching federation, but here's the problem. There are plenty of leadership coaches. I just joined a club full of them. Right. It just kind of like, Hey, I'm a leadership coach. Hey, yeah. There's like thousands and millions of people in this, in this club. It's like, great. <laughs> you know? I thought, I thought I left. A, I thought I was leaving one saturated job market in pharmacy. And turns out that what I'm jumping into is just a saturated. Holy cow. Um, why did I put all this money into this? And uh, so you learn quickly in marketing, like uh, in positioning, right? That uh, you have to niche down because if you decide on a niche and they, as they say in coaching, uh, your ideal client is who you were 10 years ago. And so uh, I thought to myself, well, you know, I, I know how conflict diverse Asians tend to be uh, since I am one. And then, um, you know, I know that conflict is, you know, a big pain point for me and everyone else around me and the clients that I've had and the workshops that I've done, there's usually centered around some conflict. And, you know, and so everyone, all my friends around me, it's like, Jerry, it's right in front of you. It's conflict. And so, yeah. So, so what happens when you niche, right? The three things happen. Number one, someone says, oh, he knows my pain points. I wanted to help you through mine. Right. Not off. That hasn't happened often enough yet to like leave my day job as a pharmacist, but that's hopefully what happens at some point where all the other agents say, Hey, I want your help. It's like, great. Second is I'm not in your niche, but I know someone who is because you're so specific in the description. Maybe I should make an introduction and great. Now I have a referral, even though I didn't have to pay the guy. So it's like, Hey, that's great. Or third bonus is that someone says, Hey, I'm not in your niche. Uh, but I, I suffer from those same pain points. Can you help me through them? Right. So now instead of being like, oh, yeah, I help everybody. Boring. Right. Now it's like, OK, now I have what a niche. I have three options, all of which lead to possible clients. So here we go. Very nice. I love your mind. Analytical. Breaking it down and putting it into a simple, understandable language. That is beautiful. That is a gift, my man. This is a gift that you have got. Um, and that makes you a good leader and an even better coach. Um, it is, uh, and the way you put it is you think, I think automatically the way you've just put that, wow. Okay. If I now take you and let you in onto the mess that is my life and, uh, would you come back to me with the same kind of analysis, so to speak? And chances are, yeah. And that makes you a very, very good partner in crime. That makes you a very good man to to be out there and is, well, not out there. I don't want you to be out there. I want you to be in my, my tribe, so to speak. So yeah. that is the immediate response that I get uh, talking to you. So that's beautiful. And I hope that that this interview is heard and seen by many, many folks out there, because ultimately uh, what you 
have said and what we have discussed is gold, is pure gold, because it's the it's the conflict in our lives that can make and or break us. And unfortunately, conflict is painful and it 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 leaves scars. But the scars don't need to to break you. They can make you. They can define you. That's all good. Um, but as long as you grow and you can put that conflict to rest one way or the other. What a beautiful thing that is. And once you actually learned techniques to do that, it does no longer become a guesswork and no longer a bit of trial and error kind of a thing. But you can actually start reading people and you can you can find um, common ground. You can you can detect when it is a matter of urgency because it is true urgency to deal with something or if it is a matter of stress and distress of that person so do you need to deal with a matter or do you need to deal with that person those kind of distinctions will become so much more logical once you actually get the coaching that that jerry uh provides so these are the this is the beautiful beautiful thing where suddenly things that are so difficult that you just want to run away and ostrich head in the sand kind of thing. Um, and suddenly you actually look at it and the solution or the answers are actually beginning to stare in your face. And that is a beautiful feeling. That is a wonderful feeling. And that uh, for that, I'm grateful. But it took me trial and error to develop that, reading lots and lots of books, and not having a guy like Jerry teaching me. Um, so, you know, it is, uh, I, I got all the insights, but that took me eight years. I think that you can do that faster. <laughs> just saying, just saying. <laughs> so, Jerry, I'm so, so pleased that you came onto my show. And and you're, what you said is, is truly, I mean, it is gold. Um, because if you can just reduce the conflict and uh, and... Uh, allow us to move forward as as better people after each and every conflict well if we were to do that every day would we not make this world a better place mm. would we not be more understanding empathic would we be less likely to fall into the trap of prejudices of racism of of all the negative things there would we not listen to the news and would think what a heap of bullshit that is regardless from which side of the spectrum you are or what the messages that you have just been told. And you just think, what? And it is so beautiful when you come to that point. And I encourage you guys, go down there, check Cherry out, just check his PDF out down there. And I certainly shall. And uh, we, we, let's make this world a better place. Love is the short. And Jerry is on a mission there, and I'm so grateful that I was able to get him onto my show here to to share his mission uh, with with you guys out there. So Jerry, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Thanks, Stephen. Have a good day, everybody. Indeed, and you guys out there, stay strong. And however dark your situation is at the moment, it will pass. And maybe today you've you've learned exactly or you've, you've had that little nudge to move into the right direction, into taking action, whatever this may be in your life. But it was only when I, once I stopped living my pity party and, and trying to numb my emotions with, with alcohol that I actually suddenly started 
addressing those things that were important in my life, the trauma, the, the depression, the PTSD, all those kind of horrible things, and then learn the skills that we were discussing today, learn those skills that made me a better man and reduce the chance of further trauma and further issues in my life. I was on a winner here, and now I'm, I won't stop until I'm dead um, with, with trying to become a better man. And Jerry, you helped me today. You actually helped me truly um, by understanding more about myself. And for that, I'm very grateful. You guys, out, you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. Yeah.